bulletin. Okay, well, before I hand it over to Brock um, into the, the next section of it, I want to uh, invite Katie Conway to come up and to join me. Katie, um, many of you will know, I'm looking around, where is she gone? She's coming. There she is. All right. Um, many of you will know John and Katie Conway. They've been with us for many years now. And Katie is also the daughter of Wallace and Catherine Walcher. And uh, can we welcome Katie up for a moment? And as I made reference to earlier, uh, this weekend, it's Friday and Sunday, a number of things are happening in the US and around the world to recognize um, this, the adoption and fostering and, and the situation of orphans around the world. And as a church, we wanted to join in with that this morning. And I asked Katie if she'd be willing to share a little bit of her experience of what, it like, what it's like to be adopted. And we're going to hear from Holly Towers, especially this morning, and Holly works kind of in that whole field of advocating and helping people, um, which helping children to find families that need that. But uh, I wanted us to hear from Katie um, and have her share some of her experience with us. So Katie, maybe you could just begin by telling us um, where you were born and how you came to be adopted. Yeah, sure. So is this on? Yeah. Um, so I was born in Burnsville, Minnesota, which is right outside of St. Paul. Um, 1989, um, I think it was really snowy that day, um, and I, my birth mother became pregnant with me when she was 20, and so the, her coming to the decision to put me up for adoption was mostly based on she just didn't feel prepared to have a child, and she also didn't really have the support of her family at the time. Um, my grandparents were actually missionaries abroad for most of her life, so they weren't even living in the States when a lot of this was taking place. Um, so she just didn't feel that she had really the support that she needed to, as a 20-year-old, care for a newborn child as a single mother. Um, so it's kind of interesting the way she became connected with my parents because she actually lived with my aunt and uncle, my mom's mm. sister. Um, while my grandparents were abroad, so they already had met her, um, I think just briefly maybe, and um, my aunt and uncle were the ones that told my parents about her and her situation and that she wanted to put her child up for adoption, but, you know, I can, I'm sure everybody can imagine it's scary just to think about, yeah. you know, giving your child to anyone, so I think it was a comfort for her knowing that she knew my family and knew the kind of home I'd be going to, and... Um, so she made that decision, and when she was in labor, my parents got the call and drove from Texas to Minnesota to pick me up, and yeah, yeah. yeah and I was adopted at birth, so yeah. I was never in foster care or anything like that. Um, yeah. They just picked me up right from the hospital, so. Yeah, that's great. And as you look back, how would you describe the impact that it's made on your life? Um, I would say it's pretty huge impact. Um, when I was young, uh, I would probably say it was more like fun and exciting. Like I loved telling people I was adopted and it was just like a fun thing about me knowing I had two families and I have an open adoption. So yeah. I've always known my birth family, at least my mom and my extended family on her side. And um, so that was always fun growing up. And I would say, as an adult, it's definitely changed a little bit, mostly in the way that I think just now that I realize kind of the weight of 
the whole circumstance and just kind of trying to find a balance between having that relationship with my birth mother and my birth family, but also my parents and my family that raised me. And um, yeah, I would just say that it's definitely changed in a lot of ways of, I see, I think she lives with a lot of regret for yeah. putting me up for adoption and that can be hard for me sometimes because she we talk about that a lot and yeah. so it's definitely difficult to navigate that part um, and I would say it just has reminded me that I don't want to I've seen what it does what it's done to her life living kind of in that yeah. sorrow and not be, ever being able to really fully give that over to the Lord and say like I'm at peace with this decision and yeah. Um, so it's helped me as an adult dealing with things that have happened, I guess, throughout my life, just realizing that I don't want to live in that place of like questioning God or questioning his yeah. plan for my life that I'm just so thankful that I yeah. am where I am today because of the dis the decision that she made to yeah. put me up for adoption. So, yeah. Yeah. And lastly, just I wonder if you could just say, you talked to me a little bit about this before, but just this idea of what you'd want to say to us about adoption. Mm -hmm. I would say there's a lot I could probably say about it, but the main things that come to mind are just that how realizing how many people it affects. Like I think I'm sure as my parents wanting to adopt me, you know, they're really excited to grow their family and also just realizing that um, the effect it's had on me and their friends and our family and my yeah. birth family and my birth family's friends and everyone they've come in contact with and just how many lives it affects. And um, also just to kind of, I know, I'm sure for a lot of people there's that wonder of like when you adopt, if you're as a mother, if you're going to have that like connection with your newborn because you didn't carry them and you didn't birth them. And I just think I've never not felt that connection with my parents. And I know that from mm. the day I was born, I think just out of being so excited to grow their family, that that was just never a lack there. Yeah. Um, and then also, I think probably just, again, just reflecting on um, how different my life would look, that if I wouldn't have been put up for adoption, I would have been raised by a single mother, mm. probably no siblings, not a very large family, and I was adopted into a family of five kids, tons of cousins, loving yeah. parents. Like it, just thinking about the contrast of what my life, how different it would look if I wouldn't have been adopted yeah. is, as an adult, thinking about that is like really overwhelming, just the change that I probably wouldn't have met my husband and I wouldn't be yeah. living in Oklahoma. And so it's just yeah. the thinking on her one choice, how greatly that's affected my life and the way that my life has played out is yeah. really powerful. So, yeah. yeah, that's great. Thank you for taking the time to share that, Katie. I know that's a significant part of your life. Can we thank Katie for sharing this morning? All right, I'm going to hand it over to Brock here from now. Good morning. Thank you for bringing those. We're learning how to do interviews, aren't we? Because everyone plays here at our Lord's, right? So we're learning variety and learning how to hear from one another. And thankfully, 
this morning we get to hear from Lance and Holly Towers. I like to stand oftentimes, so I've got a tight back, so I may stand up a little bit during this interview. Is that all right? Is that all right with you? So today is Orphan Sunday. Holly's going to talk a little bit about that and explain it. Um, it's a day, though, when people all over the world focus on the heart of God for orphans. We're going to talk more about that. And today we have the privilege of hearing from you two, Lance and Holly. They have been coming to our Lord since April of 2017. You've got three beautiful children, Olivia, who's seven, Lewis, who's six, and Hudson, 16 months, who was trying to uh, get up here and probably preach this morning, wasn't he? Our aim this morning is to get to know you and to hear what you carry in your hearts and to learn how we as a church can love and serve orphans. So as we get started, I wanted to ask you, Holly, not only to share a little bit about what you do, but tell us a little bit more about what Orphan Sunday is. Sure. Thank you. Um, I am a social worker professionally, um, and I... Actually, this fall was my kind of 20-year anniversary of serving the poor in Oklahoma City. And as a result of um, just that beginning service, um, when I was 18, it led me to become a social worker. And for the last 10 years, I've led an organization called Lily Field. And we do um, a number of things, but uh, everything that we do is really related to children and families, children who need families, so foster care adoption, caring for young women who have aged out of foster care, a number of different things. And so um, day in and day out, that's kind of the, the work that I do, is dreaming about how we can do that better, how we can call the church to that, and what that means, um, for I think, for us as, as believers and as people who love the Lord. So um, today is a day called Orphan Sunday, and we were saying, what does that mean? <laughs> who decided? Well, there's a group called the Christian Alliance for Orphans. It's just kind of a, um, a non-denominational um, organization that really rallies around this idea of how do we get the church into this, how do we how do we how do we help the church awake to the plight of children in our country and in our world? Children that we can't see, children that we can't hear. Um, how do we do that? And so, one of the ways, one of the avenues that they that they created was just saying that this second Sunday in November every year, we're going to call it Orphan Sunday. We're going to invite the church to really focus on children and need and families and how we respond. And so, that's kind of what today is. Um, in terms of locally, I did want to kind of help us understand both in Oklahoma and then in the United States what the scope of the issue is that we're talking about. So in Oklahoma, we have about 8,500 children in the foster care system. That number has fluctuated in the 10 years that I've been working in this, in this, in this work from, it's fluctuated from, you know, 7,500 to 12,000 in our state. So there's a lot of variance, a lot of reasons for that. Currently we're hitting it, sitting at about 8,500. Um, nationally, uh, in any given time, there are about 400,000 children in the foster care system in the United States. So that's, that's kind of what it looks like nationwide. But then here's a number I want you to think about. So 8,500 children in foster care in Oklahoma in this year. There were 130,000 allegations of child abuse and neglect in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma in 2017. So we have that number that tells us who, who are the kids that, that we know are in danger, and then we have this much larger number of children that are probably 
at some level of risk. And so those numbers kind of give us a sense of what, what are we talking about? How many kids are we talking about? Where are these kids? So some of them are in foster care. Most of them are, are not. Most of them are living with, um, living with families in our, in our communities. We were talking about how this is not just a contemporary issue, but this is actually rooted in scripture and in the heart of God. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So one of the things that we talk about, the term orphan is a little hard for us in our current context because we don't truly, there aren't too many true orphans. I mean, an orphan is a child who has one or both parents deceased. So in our current context, that's not the most common way that children come to, to, to be in need of another family to care for them. We, we understand that. So the word fatherless can sometimes be more helpful for us to, to think about in our, in our current context. But, but really we understand that when we talk about kids that are kind of modern day orphans, and we don't love that term, and kids in foster care don't like that term, and adults who've been adopted don't like that term generally either, um, but it's scriptural language, so it's one of those balances. Um, we, we think about kids who, for whatever reason, their birth parents aren't able to care for them. That's, that's, the, that's the, the population of children we're talking about. Usually that doesn't mean that they're deceased. But So when we think about the scriptural context, we do have a lot of terminology that may be a little difficult for us to, to think about um, in our contemporary context. But James 127, of course, is one of the ones and. Um, that, that comes to mind immediately, and last week as I was thinking about today, it kept kind of coming back for me, this idea that true religion, what is that? Um, it is caring for the widows and orphans. And if we, if we kind of dig into that a little deeper, to me it just says true living with God is having the reality of his heart live so deeply in us that we pour ourselves out for those who are vulnerable and in need. It's that simple. Um, so I, I try not to get too caught up on like who's a widow and who's an orphan. And it's really more this, this concept that in, um, certainly when James was writing, um, that we really were talking about um, people who, who had no hope if someone else didn't step in on their behalf. And so I think we can take that and understand that a little bit, um, a little bit in our current current context. The other scripture that I think um, really resonates with me and has for many years is this picture that we see in Psalm 68, 5 and 6, um, where the psalmist says, you know, God in his holy dwelling, what is he doing when he's in his holy dwelling? He's setting the lonely in families. And um, I love that picture because I think if that's what God is doing when he's in the holy place, what a gift to join in with him in that work. Um, so Psalm 58, 5, and 6 is, is pretty big, I think, um, for me in thinking about what we're talking about today. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you, but th these, are, these are challenging words, and even the word religion can be difficult. Someone might hear James 1, 27 and say, well, I, I thought it was about spirituality. It's an ancient word that's actually a good word that means that which binds so what James is saying, that which binds us to God, and it's genuine spirituality, and if you're part of that, then you're going to care for orphans and widows, aren't you? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So I want you to talk about that a little bit. This isn't religious duty, is it? The last thing we need is more obligation and guilt. But th if this is in God's heart, 
if this is what God has done and what God does and we're invited into it, talk about that a little bit. I know the inner life and prayer is an important part of this for you. Well, I'll say a couple of things and then Lance may say something here. Um, I think about, and, and, and we sang this morning, the Lord's Prayer, but I think about this kingdom theology idea of that we're living in a time when the kingdom of heaven is here and also not yet. And so I think about this work, and I've heard other people talk about it in this way, of if the kingdom of heaven is here for children, I mean, what does that mean? And if the kingdom of heaven is on earth for children, it means that they have a mom and a dad, right? Because that's kind of the most foundational need. A baby is born, and what will happen if they don't have someone to care for it? It will die. I mean, if there's nobody to step in and care for a baby, that baby will die because it cannot care for itself. And so when God's kingdom intersects earth, it looks like moms and dads caring for kids. It's like the most mundane thing, right? I mean, if you're a parent, you know that parenting is mostly mundane. It's changing diapers and making snacks and refereeing fights and telling your children to quit, you know, climbing on the pews like I was this morning. I mean, most of parenting is kind of this mundane thing, and yet it's the most fundamental aspect of our lives. I mean, if you think personally, who, who impacted your life the absolute most, good or bad, it was your parents. And that's because God is a father, and the context that we have to understand his fathering and mothering, his parenting heart, is our own parents. And so I love this idea, this kind of this kingdom idea that what we're doing, and I think about this too from a, um, just from kind of a spiritual warfare perspective, um, when we talk about I mean, if Satan wins for kids, it's like kids don't have parents, right? Like, that's such a win for him. Because if kids aren't parented, then, they, then that's a big mess. And we see some of that. We see a lot of that. Um, and so when we, when we think about, okay, how do we counter that? When we start to take children, and whether they're children by birth or adoption or, or foster care or just children out there who are really alone— and we, and we give them parents, um, whether it's through adoption, foster care, or just spiritual parenting, mentoring, that kind of thing, we really intersect their life with the spiritual reality of who God is and where they fit in the context of the kingdom. And so I think that's really big for me, that we talk about on an individual level people who might foster, people who might adopt, people who might, um, you know, do care for young women who've aged out of foster care, people who might mentor. But it's really, and so it's very individualized, but it's also much bigger than that. When we start doing this work and we kind of peel back the layers of what we're looking at, it's much bigger than one individual doing one thing. It's really the church. We have an opportunity as the church. We have not done extraordinarily well at it historically. I don't mean this group of individuals, but I mean the church worldwide. I mean, I say sometimes the reason we have a foster care system is because the church failed to do the duty that God left for us. And so I think that's kind of a sobering reality, but it's true. And um, so when we think about there's this individual level, but there's also this bigger picture of when, when God gets what God wants on earth, it's kids with moms and dads who care for them. It's that simple. Um, I think about the connection of the inner life to the external working of caring for orphans and widows, as James talks about. And I think a part of the reason why the Apostle James said caring for orphans and widows is true religion is because 
of the utter dependence it takes upon God to do this work. And that's what God wants. He wants dependence. He wants us leaning upon him. He wants our weakness manifest so that he can be strong on our behalf. And I could get an amen from those who have fostered or adopted or have been parents at all, if you want to give it to me. But we know it's difficult. And, and that's what God wants. He wants our hearts connected to him. He wants us needy. And so James doesn't say like true and faultless religion is connecting with the heart of the Father in prayer. So did James miss it? I've heard Father Slavko Barbaric say the two legs of the spiritual life are fasting and prayer. And I believe that he's hitting something, the nail on the head. But I think the Apostle James was hitting, okay, if you're going to care for orphans and widows, you're going to become a people of fasting and prayer really quick. Because you're going to find that there's no other resolve, there's no other option of doing this powerfully than to depend upon God. It's like Abraham Lincoln said. He, he said during the Civil War, I was driven so many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere to go but to God. And that's where we are when we start to care for the fatherless. And so I think that kind of connects the prayer and fasting piece to what it is the Lord has called us to do. But this is fundamental. Another James, James Smith, says there are two kinds of religion, that which spawns from the heart of man and that which emanates from the heart of God. And in James 1.27, the apostle said, this is the one religion that emanates from the heart of God. And when you do it, you'll find yourself fasting more than ever before or doing it in your own strength, praying more than ever before, and then you'll see the power of God released in the lives of these kids. Okay, so I want to share a story. It's actually a story I share a lot, but it's especially, I think, relevant today because it's a story about um, a mom that's sitting in this room. Um, so I tell it because I think it illustrates, um, and it's so powerful to me. It may be a little hard for me to get through. Um, Daniel and Jessica Castle, who have been members of this body for longer than we have, I don't know how long, but quite a while, um, have really walked this journey through in a number of ways, but one of those ways is foster care. And I actually met Daniel and Jessica when they began their foster care journey with Lilyfield. And um, I was sitting in my office one day, I'm the director, so I don't get to do the fun things, right? I like write policy and deal with contracts, and I have um, people that do the fun stuff, like seeing the kids. Um, so I was sitting in my office, not at all a part of what was going on with them, and actually didn't even know that they were going to be in that day, and um, sitting there working on something at my desk, and I hear um, a child, a little child, and he is beside himself. Um, he was just... He was just desperate, crying and screaming, and I didn't know what was going on. I knew it was a placement, and at that point I figured out we're doing a foster care placement, um, and I didn't know Jessica very well then, but I listened to this child, and I just kind of looked out my office window, because I didn't want to get in the middle of it. There were workers, and there were people, and they didn't need me, but I thought, well, I, I need to pray. I need to kind of see what's going on so I can connect with this in prayer, because this child is in, is in pain. He's in pain. And um, I watched Jessica pick this little child up. He's screaming. He's upset. He's scared. He's fearful. He's lost his whole world. And here's a stranger that's getting ready to take him and put him in a car. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't understand what's happening. I mean, this is it. And I, at the time, had a two-year-old. And I'm connecting to Lewis, my son. And what if today he lost everything, 
right? Who would be there for him? And here was this little guy, because my little guy, we got family. Like, he's got people that are showing up for him, but this little guy had nobody. Just let that sit with you. He had nobody to show up for him. And so a stranger had to raise her hand and say, I will show up for you. And Jessica walked that little guy out to her car, and he is crying and screaming. I don't even know what she was thinking. And she just as calmly, I'm sure she wasn't calm on the inside, but with all of this peace, she just sat him in the car seat, and she buckled him up, and she drove him home. And I know it wasn't like that night that things got better, because walking a road with a child who's lost everything and helping them understand that you're safe and you're loved and you're cared for, that's not like a one-night journey. That's like a never probably going to end kind of journey. And I thought and I realized, and I think so much on that moment of seeing that child and that mom and the response of love and realizing like outside of the Lord, how do you walk that walk? And I mean, I don't believe that we do. I think the Lord sustains. And I mean, for Daniel and Jessica to sign up again and again, it's like, who does that? I mean, nobody outside of the Lord, right? And my encouragement to you is like, that can be you because that's what the Lord gives us. He gives us his heart. He invites us into who he is. And I woke up this morning thinking about First John and um, that idea that God's love can be made complete in us. I mean, what does that look like? It looks like somebody volunteering to love a child that nobody showed up for. And God, through us, can complete his love. We don't really, I, mean, I don't understand what all that means, but I know I can watch people like Daniel and Jessica, and I can say, that's what that means. That's what that means when God's love is complete in us, and it does require complete dependence on him. We discussed how people at Our Lord's, we have a rich history of this, what you're talking about. I was talking with Bob Foreman about that this morning, but this makes us uncomfortable. And there is a dimension of it that is uh, uncomfortable. So what I want us to think about too is that we're all in different seasons of life, aren't we? So some people this might be more feasible, others it's just not feasible. Um, for one reason or another. I mean, we have people in their 80s and 90s. and So I want you to address briefly what role could each person play, whether it means having children in your home or adopting, but maybe prayer, other cast a vision for other things that, that people could do. I'll talk a little, and then I'll let Lance talk a little. Um, so I think, I mean, one of the things I want to say is um, there's this idea, for me, there's this idea, my most common inner life prayer is that the heart of the Father, that I, would, that I would connect to the heart of the Father, right? Because whatever I do in life, I want the expression of my service to be really connected to his heart as, as a father. Um, and so I think that's the place that we start when we, when we begin to wonder and ponder on, on these ideas that God's giving us about children. I think we start in that place of just really wanting to connect to his, to his heart. And I think I want to say, to, for me personally, I mean, I spend time all day, every day calling people into the really logistical pieces of, like, what does this look like to walk out? But I don't think that the expression is as important as the connection to the heart of God as the Father, because, like, the Holy Spirit's going to work out the expression. I mean, I, we don't work that out. I don't work that out. I'm not in charge of that. Um, and so I think, for me, the key is how do we connect to the heart 
of the Father. And we don't live there. I mean, I've been for 20 years kind of pursuing this, but it's not like I live in a place of understanding the heart of the Father to all people, right? I mean, it's not where we live. We get to connect to that. And then the moments that we connect to his heart and we experience his heart, then that sustains us through those times when we're like, I really don't understand what I'm doing and this is really hard and it's mostly mundane and it's really painful. But we, we connect to his heart and then we, we gain this idea, and I said it to you, that something like foster care or adoption in many contexts, it's like we send people to the mission field and they go out and they make disciples, right? But then they come home at night to their own home that's a little bit protected in their own family. I mean, this work is just inviting the mission field into your home. It's not leaving. It's there. And um, so I think, I, I don't, the expression piece is a little bit, there's so many ways we can do this. I and mean, whether it is adopting or fostering, we need people to sign up for that because we got like 8,500 kids that are waiting for us. Um, but, but we also need people, when we have people that sign up for this, they're going to need a lot of help. This is not really something, I mean, none of us parent in a vacuum. We all parent with a lot of support. But this kind of parenting, I've heard it said, is not parenting as usual, especially children that come through foster care or have come through trauma. And so um, when we see families, and we have some here that are in the midst of this, I think as a church community, our job is to say, how do we rally around them? I mean, I'm going to go back to Dale and Jessica just because I know them so well. Okay, so they've signed up again, and they've adopted Miette, who has um, some needs that are a little bit more challenging than most of us might be used to. Who is coming to Daniel and Jessica saying, we're going to make sure our house is ready so that we can care for Miette? We're going to make sure we understand what she needs so you guys can get a night away. We want to be a part of this with you. And so sometimes that means reimagining um, what we do on a really personal level and what we understand and that we may even be, even if we're not the ones adopting or fostering, we may have to do some things that feel a little bit uncomfortable. I want us to have time to do our prayer huddle. So what I'm hearing you say is you could be 16, 17 years old, you could help with childcare. I mean, there, there's an opportunity for everyone to contribute. What we thought we would do is have us, um, so that we could be open to the heart of the Father, is we wanted to do a, a prayer exercise together. And then we want that to lead into a ministry time, because we've got a number of people here who've carried this heart for years, and we want to see that passed on to others. Do you want to uh, discuss how to do that? Can we have the worship team <clears throat> come back up? Um, let's um, get into small groups in just a moment. I'll tell you, this is kind of your preparation time for introverts like me. Like, oh, can I do this? You don't have to if you don't want to. But we're inviting you to get in groups of like three to five. For one to two minutes, we're going to pray into um, some themes that we're discussing and that are on our hearts this morning. And then we'll have a more formal ministry time where we'll invite ministry team to come down and we can pray for individuals at that time. But this is for everyone. Everyone gets to participate who wants to. If you want to participate by staying by yourself and praying, then engage with your heart. Uh, connect with the Lord. I invite you to do that for sure. Um, Brad, can we do God of Miracles again? We're going to do God of Miracles again and see if Jennifer Milner really gets rocked this time. Um, okay, because that was just warm-up earlier. So, there are 100,000 
um, allegations of abuse and neglect, or there were in the year 2017 in our state, in the state of Oklahoma. So we are touching this morning on the idea of wanting individuals, moms and dads and siblings to invite children into their homes, to foster them, to adopt them. That's something that we wanna pray into. We also wanna pray about those families, those 130,000 allegations of abuse and neglect. So what makes me align with Abraham Lincoln's words, the only place I have to go is to God, is a number like that. Like there are some things that I can feel like maybe in my strength, if I network, we can solve some things. There are other things that we can't. So we're in a good position this morning to receive the spirit of prayer, which is I need you, God. We corporately need you. We can't solve this on our own. We don't want to try. God wants us to come to him. And so this is a miracle that we want the Lord to do. Just as much as we would want to see someone come out of a wheelchair or to see cancer healed, we want to see a miracle of fathers and mothers' hearts turning towards their children. Instead of abuse, abandon, and neglect, the heart of the Father flowing through these individuals to their kids. And there's a promise that before Jesus returns, the Father will pour out the spirit and power of Elijah upon his people, and it will turn the hearts of fathers to children. So that means adoptive fathers, their hearts turning and bringing kids into their homes, but it also means these biological dads or biological mothers who are abusing their kids. Could God turn their hearts? Could he turn the hearts of these biological fathers to the children? On the east side or the west side or the south side or the, or the north side of our city, Maybe they're African-American men. Maybe they're Native American men who have dozens of kids and are caring for none of them. Could God turn that human heart? Because I can't do it, but if we asked him, could he do it? So I'm just priming us. Let's get in groups of three to five if you want to, and let's start singing, and then I'm going to interject, but just keep singing when I interject, because I'm just going to be praying, and let's do this together, okay? So you want us to get in yeah. groups. Go ahead and go ahead and get in your groups in of groups. three to five. And you can pray in your groups. Um, take turns praying. When you get in your groups, just jump in and go after it. <laughs> 